This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. Today we bring you a story of a man trying to escape from Afghanistan and the amazing people here in Montana trying to help. This is a live situation, and this man and his family currently face grave risk. As a result, we don't reveal his identity, and I spoke with him on an encrypted channel from an undisclosed location. And my dream is this, that once I got there, so just to take care of all two children, to make sure that they could go to school, they could go to universities, and they could learn their lessons. So that's the big dream. Following our conversation, I speak with Lisa Davey, a colleague of our friend who brought this story to us. Marsha Seymour, who has agreed to open up her home to this man and his family when and if they make it to Missoula. And Mary Poole, Executive Director of Soft Landing Missoula, an organization that welcomes and supports refugees. Okay, so thank you for joining us this evening, or I I suppose this morning for you. Tell us, where, where did you grow up? And tell us about your parents. Yes, so I have been growing up uh, in my native province that's called uh, Kunar, which is located in the east of capital Kabul. My parents were living there for a long time, but right now my father is no longer there. died, but uh, I have my mother and she is still alive. Okay. Why have you decided to come to the United States or to try to get to the United States? Yes, I have traveled uh, in the past. I have traveled to more than uh, 50 countries, including the United States. I have been to the United States for almost seven times. Okay. But this time, following uh, the fall of uh, Kabul, I mean the fall of the whole country into the hands of the Taliban, since we were directly involved in uh, human rights of the marginalized groups, such as women and persons with disabilities. So in some cases, we were considered by mission for the American or uh, the guardian of the Western values. On top of that, I was uh, an advisor to the former president, Ghani. I mean, my job with the president, it has made a lot of problems for me, especially security problems. A grenade was thrown to my house. Since we were inside the rooms, uh, thanks God, nobody was damaged, but it has made the structural damages to my house, just broken the glasses and all the children were crying. And then later on, I understand that there is a top security problems for me, and then I went to hiding, just going from one place to another and uh, trying to keep, you know, hide from the public uh, eyes. And and I continue this. So on 14 uh, September, my son was abducted, and then uh, my problems were just increased from one day to another, and then. Finally, I have been in a very tough travel. I have been relocated to a third country where I am right now. And so can you tell us about your family's safety? Were you able to secure your son's safety? 
Sure, yeah, he was okay. He was taken and then uh, some uh, with the immediation of some tribal leaders. Then he was released and then every time they were just uh, asking to uh, locate me and uh, to be frank, uh, my family, you know, they were in a big trouble. Uh, although I was not there, I was in hiding. But my family still feel uh, unsafe. I mean, insecure, and and the problem continues from one way to another. So now you're in a third country and trying to get to the United States and in Montana in particular. So why Montana? And can you tell us about the process? that you have to go through to try to get here? Yes, I got uh, many loyal friends, I mean, in Montana. So that's why I wanted to come and uh, select my future place. What are some of the obstacles to getting you over to to Montana right now? It takes a lot of time. And being relocated to a third country, I do not feel safe in this uh, third country. Although for a temporary period, it's okay. But I do not see staying here for a long time to be safe. But right now, as a life-saving efforts, and there are a lot of problems, security problems for me. So now I want to be relocated with my family to the United States as a life-saving efforts. So how are you able to take care of your basic needs? Do you have access to to funding or money? I mean, staying in hiding, you're probably not able to work. How are you able to take care of feeding yourself and 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 accommodations and so forth? Yeah, to be frank, that's a big problem because uh, the Taliban has frozen the bank accounts of all the senior government officials. Being in a third country having no any income and any other resource it's very difficult to sustain i know you will pay the rent you will pay for the power you will pay for the transportation you will pay for the food sometimes to be frank it's very difficult because i cannot uh, receive any support from my family back home and I have no job, no income, and nothing is coming to my hand. And to be frank, I have no any other alternative. In the event that we do get you here, what? How do you restart? Like, what? What do you? What are your dreams for starting a new life here in Montana? Thank you so much. A few days ago, my daughter, uh, she is in uh, eighth class. She was crying a lot and calling me by uh, WhatsApp because she was not allowed to go to school. And my dream is this, that once I got there, so just to take care of all two children to make sure that they could go to school, they could go to universities and they could learn their lessons. So that's the big dream. Perhaps the first priority is the safety. And I am quite sure that once we get to the United States, so we are uh, safe. So then we will work on the education of the the children and then try to uh, try to assist all those people who are left left behind over here and they are uh, living in a very miserable condition so once if you are in trouble and if you got to a safe place 
then that's your ethnic responsibility just to look back and see hey i was there and i was living in a big trouble so now i got to a safe place so now my responsibility is this just to look around and see if somebody is in trouble in there and uh, living in a miserable condition in afghanistan then we should try just at least to help them to get to a safe place as a life saving efforts and you know and make sure that their children can go to school and they could learn something you know for their future life so if people here listening in montana want to do more to to help you to help others like you trying to find a safe place to restart what advice would you have how how would you advise people to get involved and to 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 help folks like you i would like to uh, request them to get in touch and help me in any way possible just to get out of this miserable conditions there is the state department the usmbc here in the third country they could contact him or they could get a congressional approval for my visa and and, and the visas of my family that are the uh, two sample requests to all the people in montana just i would like to request them to come forward and help us and save our lives and get us to a safe place and that will be very much appreciated we certainly hope that you can get here there's a lot of people working hard on your case and uh, hopefully you will be reunited with them in person hopefully at some stage in the future you and i will get to meet in person but um i'm so grateful to have the opportunity to to speak with you to learn more about your story and to share your story with uh, listeners here yes thank you so much mr uh, justin well stay as safe as you can and godspeed with the challenge ahead Let's pivot now to my conversation with Lisa Davey, Marsha Seymour, and Mary Poole. Okay, so I'm here with Mary Poole and Marsha Seymour. Ladies, thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here. Thank you, Justin. So, you know, we just heard from our friend who is in this super challenging and intense process to try to get here to Montana, to Missoula. Mary, maybe let's start with you. You know, you're the, the the founder of Soft Landings Missoula, and you do this great work here in our community. Tell us kind of where you plug into this effort. We um we do work with refugees and immigrants here in Missoula, and while you know our work is really on the domestic side of things, especially as the the situation in Afghanistan got very dire, in the kind of people that we know here in Missoula that are affected by this, both Afghan families and then um, friends of Afghans. We've dabbled a tiny bit in just helping out on the international side of things, although that is not our forte. So a community member reached out to us wondering if there was anything that we could do to help her um, get an acquaintance here. Okay. And so in Missoula, we've been able to welcome about 100 Afghans um, since the fall of Kabul. And so we're doing that work domestically along with the International Rescue Committee and other partners here. And I had a volunteer that was willing to kind of look into, you know, what it might be like to to help on the international side of things. And And to tell you the truth, it's been incredibly hard. There's not a lot of opportunity for movement on things beyond the very slow process that it is. That's been, I think, pretty frustrating for all of us. So, Marsha, why don't you tell us how you plug into this scenario? Well, I first started seeing Lisa's mention of 
this person on Facebook when she was concerned when Kabul people were trying to get out of Kabul. And uh, then Mary contacted me and to see if we'd be interested in a sponsorship or helping out in some way. My husband and I are elderly, but we do have a big house and uh, we just thought this is a no-brainer. We can certainly put a roof over their heads. You said it was a no-brainer, but you know, having not done this sort of thing before, yeah, how did you just make the decision so quickly to open up your family and, and home to him? For one thing, I, I just feel like it's kind of the responsibility of all of us to step up when we can. But uh, I don't know, this whole refugee situation all over the world just is heartbreaking to me. So we just kind of looked at each other and said, you know, we got a big house, probably not everybody does, and uh, we can certainly uh, make room for a couple more. And one of the reasons I originally reached out to Marsha is because she has been involved with our work with Soft Landing for years. Her daughter actually was one of the original folks on the co-founding team with us. So I knew you'd be interested, Marsha. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that makes this so complicated is that there's so many ways that people can get here. There's, There's new visas opened up, you know, to kind of process through the situation in Afghanistan, humanitarian parole visas, there's P2 visas, there's all of these different ways that people can get here. And so for this gentleman, we really have tried multiple ways. He has different applications open. So it, it does make it increasingly complicated as well when you're trying to advocate for somebody. You don't quite know which visa is going to go through first, so which one to advocate for. And, you know, it's just it adds a layer of complexity to the situation. So Lisa Davy, you've joined the conversation. We're, we're happy to have you for a few moments. You are the one that kind of brought our friend's story to us. Tell us about how you connected with this person you know, in the, the world of uh, disability and healthcare advocacy, a lot of the work is done uh, with partners across the nation and across the globe. Um, and so I had met this man in the course of that disability work. We had chatted a little bit offline. You know, he's always very good at following up with his colleagues and making sure they're well. Uh, and so um, as we started to learn that Kabul was falling. I wondered how he was doing um, and really just reached out to him, honestly expecting, you know, like, a, oh, we're, you know, we've made it somewhere else and um, things are going to be okay. And he responded in sort of an uncharacteristically vulnerable fashion. You know, I think culturally it was important for him to have a very, very good persona at demonstrating that he could engage um, in Western business culture. And he kind of started that way, you know, oh, yes, you know, how are you? I hope your family is well. And then he, you know, he really broke down into, you know, honestly, I'm terrified. Um, We're hiding in, in my house. It's just, it's really impactful to understand the true humanity um, or lack of humanity in these situations that otherwise we're somewhat removed from. How do you then sort of translate the intensity and emotion of that conversation, trying to be there for a colleague to action to try to help? Yeah, I uh, I had some other colleagues who were former special forces 
uh, and people who had been in the State Department who were you know, involved in that amazing effort just by civilians to help get their colleagues out of the deteriorating situation in Kabul. And so I was able to reach out to them and they were able to start trying to to put my colleague on on lists for that. But all of that was was quite uncertain. And in the in that we discovered that he already had a visa application that was well along its in its process. And so, you know, like Mary was saying, it's it's pretty hard to figure out what the uh, the best option is um, in this situation, trying to follow the rules really closely um, and end up in in a good permanent situation for his family while balancing just that immediacy of the the danger and the threat that he's feeling. We'll be back to our conversation with Mary Poole, Marcia Seymour, and Lisa Davey after this short break. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. Hey, this is Ryan Tutel of ESPN Radio in Missoula, and you're listening to A New Angle. Welcome back to A New Angle. I'm speaking with Mary Poole, Marcia Seymour, and Lisa Davey about the important refugee work happening right here in Montana. So Mary, let's maybe talk about, you know, you've been so successful in, in helping people and families find a new life here. Maybe a two-part question. What is it about Missoula and this community in particular that is receptive to this type of generosity? And then what are some of the major hurdles in, in helping people rebuild a healthy and safe life here in this community? Sure. Gosh, what is that magic secret sauce here in Missoula? That's a really good question. I think our community is really engaged in a lot of different ways. Refugees happen to be one of those ways. Part of that probably comes because we do have a history of welcoming refugees. You know, when we started our effort back in 2015, Missoula hadn't done that for decades. Um, Montana was one of two states in the nation that actually had no path to welcome refugees. But as soon as it was even a thought in our collective minds, it, it happened really fast. And it happened with hundreds and hundreds of people on board with us. So many people are involved. Partners work really, really hard to make sure that you know, refugees have a life full of opportunity here. I just feel incredibly blessed and grateful for this community and, and for folks like Marsha, who I know that I can call on and say, hey, this situation's happening. Do you want to be a part of it? And I know that she'll say yes. And, and there's a lot of people like that in our community. So as far as challenges, of, of course, there are also challenges right now we're all dealing with a housing crisis and, and housing challenges, but every community faces different challenges. And, and right now, housing is a huge issue across the nation. The International Rescue Committee is our resettlement agency here in Missoula, and they do a great job. You know, all, all the folks that have come are in homes, and sometimes that involves, you know, an extended stay in a hotel or an Airbnb, but they They've had success getting everybody into apartments and homes. So I, you know, I know they'll continue that work. The next piece I'd be curious about is like, how, how do we get these folks into, into jobs and, and things like that, where they can start to take care of some of their own needs and, and contribute 
to the to the economy of the community. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, the job market right now is is actually not a challenge, um, which is great. Essential services like jobs and housing and getting kids enrolled in school, getting people set up with primary medical care when they're here, they all happen through a program called Reception and Placement that is a partnership between the State Department and the Resettlement Agency here, which again is the International Rescue Committee. So when we started our effort to welcome refugees in 2015, kind of the missing link in our community at the time was a resettlement agency. In general, for the most part, all refugees come to communities through a relationship between the State Department and a resettlement agency. So when we started our effort, we knew we had to bring a resettlement agency here if we wanted to create a path for refugees to get here. So that was the International Rescue Committee, and they opened their office here in 2016. And so when folks originally get here, when they first get here, they work with the International Rescue Committee um, for the first 30 to 90 days of their stay here in order to get set up with all of those essential services, housing, jobs, kids enrolled in school, primary medical care. It's a very intense time period, but it is it is fairly short, three to six months of intensive case management through the IRC. So, you know, one of the, you asked about the secret sauce of Missoula. And I think one of the things that we noticed when back in 2015, when we were talking to communities all over the nation saying, you know, gosh, how did you do this? One of the things we saw right off the bat was that the resettlement agency can't work in a vacuum. They're truly a part of the community. And it's, communities that have additional partners like nonprofits or churches or civic organizations where resettlement is is really a positive impact in the community and folks seem to thrive. So we knew that we would have a place as a as a local grassroots nonprofit doing work to support the resettlement of families beyond what the International Rescue Committee was going to be able to offer through their contract with the State Department. Yeah, Marsha, let's turn to you. Uh, how can people get involved either in the same way you've gotten involved or, or what would you advise? I'm 80 years old <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I, I'll I, have to admit, I'm not actively involved in, in this. Uh, Mary's given me probably more credit than I deserve. So I, I really have been other than, you know, kind of trying to support newcomers with you know, household goods and just some light support. My daughter is a mentor to one Syrian family right now. So uh, I've kind of been just tangentially involved. But I, I have to give Mary so much credit and the soft landing people. They are, they have reached out and they have, the, you know, I think everyone in the community is pretty much aware of the work they do. And they have brought in a lot of volunteers and uh, people who are just, anxious to to uh, help our newcomers here. I just uh, can't say enough about Mary and the work Soft Landing does. But as for me, I'm just kind of offering up my house and not doing a whole lot more. Oh, that's that's a whole lot, Marcia. So don't, uh, don't sell yourself short. And uh, frankly, yeah, sometimes when I think about maybe uh, putting a meal on the day <laughs> table every day for four people is a little bit daunting, but I think we can do it and uh, we'll all work together to make it work. And Marsha, you might just find that the meal gets put on the table for you. 
Well, that's what I'm kind of hoping. <laughs> yeah, I, I would advise people to uh, get involved in what Soft Landing is doing for the refugees who are already here. And then also encourage folks to think about as we enter this, you know, next wave of refugees that are coming um, across Europe from Ukraine and into the United States, uh, to recognize that the prior waves of refugees have not actually been fully helped yet, and that it's a kind of an ongoing crisis, and to remember that uh, we're still working, still working to get to get our friends and colleagues to safety. Gosh, Lisa, thank you so much for saying that. It's weighed very heavy on our minds as well here at Soft Landing, just knowing there's so much need. Situation continues in Syria, the situation in northern Ethiopia and the Tigray region. You know, we have families here who are Eritrean refugees who fled into the northern region of Ethiopia, and that's where all their friends are in refugee camps. And two refugee camps there just recently got destroyed. And there's no path out, zero, zero path out um, of that horrible situation. And so, and it's not to, it's not to get too depressed about anything. Um, You know, you can't let yourself get paralyzed by it all, but there's definitely still so much to do right here in our own community and, and so much to be paying attention to around the world. I say, I've just been traveling for work, you know, and on my last leg of my last flight, the young man sitting next to me was in his early 20s and a refugee who was on his second to last leg of his flight to see his parents, um, who he hadn't seen in seven years. And they had all waited together, um, and his parents had been able to come over. And it took seven years uh, to bring him here. Um, and I think about um, my colleague and his children who are waiting for him and just the fortitude it takes to make it here uh, and then do the work that it takes to bring the rest of your family. And he was scared. He was scared to see his parents and just hoped that his mom uh, was proud of him. Well, and to add to your story, Lisa, you know, we have a Afghan woman that we work with here in Missoula and have since the very beginning. Um, so for, you know, six plus years now, and she's here as an asylee and her asylum claim got approved three years ago. And it's been eight years since she saw her son and we were able to welcome him um, about a month ago. And to witness that reunion at the airport of a mother seeing a 21 year old son, 20 year old son that she hadn't seen since he was such a tiny child, a 12-year-old child, it was, you know, you you can't, there's no words for it. There's no words for that. Parents, you know, as parents, and I just can't imagine. Well, this is uh, hopefully uh, the first chapter in, 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 a, in a story with a happy ending as we try to bring this this family in need to Missoula, and this hopefully this community will welcome them with open arms. And a lot of that outcome, hopeful outcome, is due to the generous work and important work of, of three, the three of you. So I can't thank you enough for, one, approaching me with this story, but more so doing this work and trying to help out people around the world in need. Thanks for being here today. And um, yeah, we'll keep listeners posted and updated on, on how things proceed. 
Thank you so much, Justin, for having us and helping us tell this story. Okay. Well, thank you, friends. Be well, and we'll talk down the road. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift from University of Montana alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. With additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. AJ Williams is our producer. BTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks made our music. Editing by Nick Mott. And Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.